0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationGta.org. All right, thank you so much, Ben. Let's give them a hand that was really awesome. getting us in the Christmas mood. Good morning everyone. My name's Richard. when the associate pastors here here, so I just adjust. there we go. Uh, the stand. and uh, you know, you can tell it's Christmas. One because we're singing Christmas carols, and two, I'm wearing a jacket. Okay, <laughs> some people are like, who is this guy? Yeah, so, um, weddings and funerals and Christmas is usually when I wear jackets. Um, it's uh, a delight to be uh, in in this series. Uh, for some of us that weren't here last week, we're um, we're taking an unusual approach to Christmas, but it's it's very well connected. We're we're working through a book in the Bible called Ruth. It's a story of Ruth, true story about this girl called Ruth. And it has great connection to the story of, of Jesus and the story of Christmas. And so, if you weren't here last week, we kicked off as four chapters in Ruth, four weeks up until Christmas. And so, today we're in chapter two. The first week, if you're unfamiliar with the story, what's so amazing about this story, about the book of Ruth, is there's 66 books in the Bible, two of which are named after women. And one of them is a lady called Esther, and the other one is Ruth. And Ruth is a pagan woman. In other words, she's outside the... The chosen people of God, the, the Israelites. So even right there, it just shows the heart of God has always been for all people to be included in his redemptive plan. And so this series is called Redemption. And uh, Ruth finds amazing redemption. You're going to have to come to week three and week four to find out how the story really unfolds. But the first chapter reset the scene. And it's a scene of tragedy, to be honest. Um, as a family, Na- Naomi is another lady in the story. And Her and her husband, Elimelech, there's a famine in Bethlehem, the famine in in Israel. And and this family, this average family, normal family, nothing special about them, but they moved to a country called Moab, which was probably not the wisest thing to do because Moab had historically been an enemy of Israel. You know, God had warned Israel, don't mess with them, don't mingle with them. They're going to lead you astray. But perhaps it shows you just how desperate the West. They moved there. In hope of a better life, and I think we can all identify in some ways. we make decisions, we do things, some of you have physically moved here in search of that better life, just like this family did. only it ended in tragedy for them after some ten years there um Naomi had lost her husband, her husband had passed away, she had had two sons, and they had passed away, and now she has two daughters in law and one of them is Ruth, clings to her she decides to go back. To Bethlehem. She hears that the famine's over, God's doing something, and there's food, and she goes back, and Ruth clings to her. Ruth has had an amazing conversion, it seems like, during her time with this family, and so much so that she's rejected the gods of her land. She's even left her family, she's left everything. It's a real picture of what repentance looks like, to be honest, is that she leaves everything and she follows and walks away from that and into a future simply by faith, and it's an unknown future. They're widowless, they're childless, which in those times left you in a very perilous situation. And so we pick up the story in chapter 2 as they enter back into uh, Bethlehem. And so if you've got your Bibles here, um, you know, I realize I say that if you've got your Bibles, I can't remember the last time I saw anyone bring a Bible to church because usually it's on phones now. So if you want to scroll to your Bible, <laughs> click on your app or just look up at the screen, you can do that. All right, Ruth chapter 2, we're just going to read 13 verses, it's a long chapter, and then I'll just summarize the rest of it, but here we go. Now, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, that was her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She was a hard worker. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor In your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So today we're talking about finding favor. Finding favor, we see how Ruth encounters this guy, Boaz, and finds incredible favor with him. And So before we dive into what finding favor means, not only for Ruth, what it means not only for Christmas, but really what it means in your life, ultimately, uh, a couple of things here. So Boaz, uh, we've been introduced to another character in this story. He wasn't there in chapter 1, he's here in chapter 2. And Boaz, as it turns out, is actually a distant relative of Naomi, her husband. Uh, disinredited of a late husband so and this is significant because there was a law there was a practice in that time where it was called leveret marriage so if you um Your husband passed away, if there was another brother in the family or then another close relative that could then marry you, they would often do that to preserve the family inheritance, to preserve the memory of the deceased brother, and then also to bring a way of providing and protecting the widow. And so it was a great practice. Again, we're just seeing the heart of God here. And Boaz, as it turns out, is a relative. So ding, ding, ding. And what they would call this person was a kinsman redeemer. It'll go into that a little bit in, next week in chapter 3, so make sure you come up for that. But it's a significant thing here. And so um, it tells us as well in verse 1 of verse 2, Is uh, verse 1, a worthy man. And in the Hebrew, it's a it's a neat phrase. It's a gibor kael, okay? I may not have pronounced it fully well, but it's something like that, gibor kael. And it can mean a worthy man, a man of valor, a man of strength, or a mighty man of God. And... Uh, It's not for this message, but in this chapter, and in fact, in the rest of the story, you're going to see an incredible example of what biblical manhood can look like, and in Ruth, you can see what an incredible example of biblical womanhood will look like, and so next year, we're actually going to be speaking on love and relationships in a series, and we're going to dive into that, and particularly given such gender confusion in our day, What does it mean? Do we get to define what manhood is? Do we get to define what womanhood is? Or does the Bible, does God have something to say about the way that he's fashioned us together? But I just wanted to point that out because it tells us he's a worthy man. And you see his interactions with Ruth. You see how he protects her. He looks after her. And ladies, you see Ruth is not a damsel in distress. She's hustling. She is not the damsel in distress waiting for the mighty kingsman redeemer. She's out there. She's working. She's working a tale off. She's hustling, and so again, I just sometimes our cultural, you know, uh, fairy tale perceptions of manhood and womanhood can um, can cloud us. Uh, secondly, it talks about gleaning here. Now, anyone in an agricultural background here, this may not have any relevance to you, but it's very. It's very relevant here. So it talks about how Naomi, I mean Naomi, encouraged Ruth to go out and glean. And again, there was a uh, a practice there that God instructed the Israelites when it's harvest time. When you send out the workers into your fields and they go and they are harvesting, I want you to leave the edges of the field and the corners of the field, and I want you to pick up the stuff that's fallen there. That's for the alien, okay, the foreigners, not the alien. The, the, <laughs> all the sci-fi's are like, yeah, I told you, like, exactly. It's in the Bible. It ends. All the foreigners, the non-Israelites, the Gentiles, probably a lot of you and me, was for them, it was for widows, it was orphans, it was for the least and the lost. It's the heart of God. And so it was a practice that they lived out and were seeing it in here. And so we could have missed that unless we knew a a grand story. And so that's important to see. It's important to see that God's heart often comes through a lot of his instructions and his laws. He's not just a just do that because it's random, that he wanted to make sure that the heart for the least and the last was there. And then lastly, it's this neat little phrase that says, she happened to come. She just happened to come to Boaz's field. Do you think that's true? I think in God's universe, there's no coincidences. Last week, we talked about providence and perspective. The providence of God means that God's at work even when we struggle to see Him at work. God was at work in Naomi's life and Ruth's life, even when Naomi was very bitter. I mean, we can, we can, we can not chastise her for a minute, we can, we can mourn with her. I mean, she's lost her family. She went in uh, and sought after a better life and came out worse. And she's bitter at God, she's angry at God, and maybe rightfully so. There's a reason why a third of the Psalms are laments, complaints to God. It's okay to complain and get angry. Just do it to the Lord, and He'll help you out. All right? Just a little side note there. Um, In fact, Lucas preached an outstanding message on lament in the summer, and I encourage you, if you haven't, if you want to find out more about that, go listen to that. And so, there's no coincidences she might think she just happened to arrive at this, guys. But God is orchestrating. And so I just want to throw out there. Like, for your life, nothing. God, the providential God is at work bringing about his redemptive plan in and through your life. Ultimately for his glory, but also for your good. And as you will track through the rest of the story, you'll see how... Ruth could never anticipate it. She just had faith. She just had a simple faith in the God of Israel, followed it, and, uh, but she had no idea what that faith would activate. And I think it's a lot in our lives. Sometimes faith has to see what we can't see. Faith has to hear something that we're not hearing. And faith has to be able to move forward despite sometimes the circumstances saying something else. You know, I think it also shows that the journey, the journey that got her there, the journey that got Naomi back to Bethlehem was a tragedy, right? It was a hurtful, it was a hard journey. The journey hurt, but God used it to bring you to that point. And take heart, if your journey, you might be in, your journey right now might be a a tough, you might find like you're in Moab, I identify, I've lost, maybe not physically, but just a sense of loss, whatever it is, take heart that nothing's wasted with God, that he'll use even the hurts and the tragedies of our journeys. And if we'll have faith, and if we'll look to him, he'll work it out ultimately in the end for his glory and our good. So we're talking about finding favor, and I've got just three short things, and we're going to... Enjoy what we usually do on the first Sunday is communion. And we're going to tie it all together somehow with Christmas. Finding favor. In this story, Boaz. Boaz is almost like a type. He's almost like a type of God. He's not God. He's a human. So he will have his flaws. But he is in the way of his interaction with Ruth. We're seeing a little bit of how God interacts with us. His kindness is extraordinary to Ruth. Legally, he is not required to do anything. But like what he's done for her in terms of the law in terms of obeying that he goes way beyond that Now as it turns out there may be some romance brewing in Boaz's heart as we might find out later in the story But there's a sense here where he's grace he's extending grace and favor to her in an unusual and spectacular way And so Ruth in verse 10 says why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. You know, truthfully, I think all of us want someone to take notice of us. Is that true? Absolutely. I'll answer for you, yes, it is true. And you might shake your head and say, uh-uh, I don't care. But deep down inside, we know you do care. Um, but really, I think all of us want someone to take notice of us, uh, you know, and it goes through different stages, you know, in high school, I remember in high school, you you want certain girls to take notice of you, and you do stupid things, silly things, I mustn't use, my son says, don't use the S word, dad, what's the S word, stupid, don't use, stupid. <laughs> silly things, silly things, you know, you start bringing out your poetry, which you're terrible at, to impress, trying to take notice of it, You know, all of a sudden, you you run faster when you They're walking by, you, if you're playing sport, you just, you tackle harder, you're just, you're hardcore, and then you limp off when they're not, and we do silly things, um, because we want people to get notice of, take notice of us, uh, you know, and then I remember when I became a Christian, I mean, I I have an unusual, um, vulnerability of, of people. I want people to like me. I really do. I want people to like me. And it, it was before I met Jesus. And then I met Jesus and it all went away. No, it didn't. <laughs> it just manifested in a different way, right? Now you're in the ministry. Oh, it's even worse, right? <laughs> you want people to like you. And um, that's not a good, not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be a crippling thing. And I've noticed to be true in my life, it can be crippling to the point where I will hesitate to share the gospel with someone because i Not sure how they're going to take that, and I don't want them to be offended with me. Or um, you, you just put too much weight on people's opinions, and it paralyzes you to making godly decisions, which you know you need to do anyways, and it may risk a friendship, it may risk a relationship. Or it's saying something to someone because you love them, but because I don't want to ruin or Uh, lose the relationship, I'll hold back in that. But the truth is that if I'm not telling that person the truth, I'm not genuinely loving them. I'm trying to preserve, I love the relationship more than the person. And so these are things that I'm awakening to in my life, even my life here, of just, we all want to be taken notice of. And so Ruth is astounded that he would take notice of. And so it's almost funny, as soon as someone does take notice of you, there comes doubts like, why would you take notice of me? You know, why would you extend such kindness to me, boys, since I'm a foreigner? I know what's happening here. I'm an outsider. I shouldn't be treated like this. I should have no right to what you're giving me, and yet you're doing all this. It's almost like an insecurity comes across. Why would this person like me? Don't they know that I'm damaged goods? Don't they know what I've done in the past? Don't they know, etc. cetera, you name it, what you're... Your particular thing is, since I am, since I am, there's always that doubt. You know, religion will tell us, well, God can't like you because you, since you are, name the blank, you have such a bad past or you're not a good person. You know, religion will say, you know, you've got to, you've got to do certain things and then God may like you. God may let you glean in his field, but only if you meet some kind of criteria. So what's the point here? I think the first point here in terms of finding favor, three, three things I'm going to share with you about finding favor, is God's favor is unmerited. God's favor is unmerited. And we see a little bit of it in Ruth, and we'll see it a lot more in Jesus. But God's favor is unmerited. In other words, there's no merit on your or my behalf that gains favor with God. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. How much is in your bank account or how little is in your bank account? What uh, nation or address you were born into? What level of education you have? What your sexual preference or orientation or past is? There is no merit that either disqualifies us or qualifies us for the goodness and kindness and grace of God. It's all about Him and who He is. He's a kind, good, and graceful God. That wants to extend it towards you and I God's grace will meet you where you're at period God's grace will meet you where you're at don't believe the lie the myth that you've got to clean your life up to come to God it's ridiculous it's like saying I've got to clean my clothes before I take them to the laundry (laughs) God does a pretty good job with cleaning up our lives yeah, some of you are nodding your head like, <laughs> work in progress. Absolutely. Uh, he'll do a far better job at helping you clean up your life than, than you will. And so God's favor is unmerited. He will meet you where you're at. So how does this story not connect to Christmas and what we're celebrating? Well, there's another little, there's another woman that's pretty significant in the Christmas story. And I want to read from Luke chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to hear about another uh, young woman, teenage woman to be. And her name is Mary. And she has something to do with the the story of Jesus. Uh, Verse 28 to verse 34. Uh, And the angel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern What sort of greeting this might be? I mean, you know, if an angel appeared to you, you might be a little bit troubled. (laughs) All right? You might be a little bit disturbed. They're usually not the little chubby babies like Cupid. They're these massive warriors. It might be a little bit freakish. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Wow. Another person has found favor. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Yes. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? You see some similarities there. She finds favor. She's a teenage girl. You know. We don't know much about Mary, but there's probably nothing to distinguish her out from other teenage girls in Israel at that time. Yet she finds favor of the God, so much so that she will carry the soon-to-be Messiah of the world. And so just like Ruth, she finds favor not because of her, but because of God. There's nothing in and of her that separates her than from anyone else. Yet God seems to choose her. And again, comes the question, since I am. Now, let's be fair. It's a legitimate query that she has. It's a very legitimate query that she has. You know, Mary, we know that she was engaged at this time, betrothed to a guy called Joseph. And so she's kind of thinking, okay, if I'm going to carry child, how is this going to happen? And so a legitimate query and question. Um, God's favor is about to come with a bit of scandal. So, if, if you think that, you know, God comes into your life and everything's roses, spare a thought for teenage Mary, who's now going to have to explain to her soon-to-be husband why, she, why why her tummy's getting a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. And in fact, if we read other accounts of this, you'll know that jo- Joseph has a hard time with this, so much so, he decides to secretly divorce her, and another angel has to come and inter- intervene. Any guy would say, yeah, it would take an angel, and <laughs> So don't worry, but so here's the point in this one: God's grace, God's favor, is unmerited, and God's gra- it'll find you where you're at, it'll meet you where you're at, but God's grace will not leave you where you're at. And in other words, God's favor is transforming. Mary's life is about to be transformed in a way she could never have possibly dreamed. And so, like it was with Ruth, and you'll have to hear the rest of her story if you come the next two weeks, but God's grace, God's favor, it finds us where we're at, it meets us where we're at, God takes strides towards us and meets us where we're at, but he does not have a plan to leave you there where you're at. And just stroke you, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you know, yeah, it was a tough past you went through, that's fine, we're going to live out the rest of the life, just, you know, you know, yeah, you, he's going to intervene and enter into your life, and then move you on from that place to greater realms of glory and ultimately looking more and more like his son, Jesus. And so God's grace doesn't leave you. God's grace and favor when it intervenes in our lives doesn't have the limitations, Mary, legitimately, there's some limitations here, Lord. I'm not sure how this is going to work. But she had faith. Well, if you said, as it is, according to your word, Lord, let it be. Her faith kicks in. It says, I'm not sure how this is going to work, but you're God, and I don't need to necessarily figure it out. Just help my husband. <laughs> Soon to be, just pray, pray for him. And so, here's the connection between Ruth and Mary. But then, where is the connection with you and I? Is it just, what about all the thousands of other Marys and Ruths who don't we don't hear about, don't read about? Uh, is God's favor, is God's kindness, is God's grace for certain people and certain individuals? Well, if you turn over the page to Luke chapter 2, virtually if you script through and slide your screen, whatever it is, I'll have to get some new lingo going. But uh, in the Bible, if you turn to chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 10 to 11. Another angel comes and speaks to some shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Who gets favor? For all the people. The heart of God has always been for the least, the last, for all people. We all fall outside of his family, ultimately, because of sin and rebellion. And God sends Jesus. Christmas is about a baby being born that will ultimately come to die for sin, to restore us with relationship with Him and with one another, and then to work about bringing renewal to all things ultimately until He comes again and establishes His kingdom forever. So, God's favor is for all people. And this should be great news of good joy for us today as we remember Christmas, as we enjoy the celebrations that come with Christmas, enjoy the traditions that you celebrate in your family with Christmas. But we not forget what's central to Christmas is Christ. It's Jesus and what it means that he came to this earth. He is the embodiment of God's kindness, of God's favor, of God's grace. Not to a select few, but to all people. That's what the angel announced. For all people, it's good news for everyone. Everyone who will believe in this Jesus, who will put their faith in this Jesus. It'll be great news. And they'll enter in to that transforming, that life-transforming power that the gospel and God's grace has. And so our response here this morning, as we, we tie this in, there's, uh, there's, some, there's some neat things that you can discover when you, when you learn different languages. Now, we know that the Bible wasn't written in English, right? We know that in the New Testament, it was in Hebrew, and then in the New Testament, it was written in Greek or Aramaic. And so there's some cool words here that are connected about what we're about to do. So this word favor, this word kindness... It's this word in Greek called charis, which is often translated grace. Grace, kindness, favor. So when we talk about God's favor, we talk about God's kindness. We're talking about God's grace. This word joy comes, it's part of the family. It's like a, it's like a first cousin to charis. It's kara. It's joy. So there's a connection between grace and joy. And what we're about to do is being traditionally called the eucharist. It comes from a Greek word called eucharistos. What's right in the middle of that word, you don't have to understand Greek. You just what's right in the middle of that word is "car, grace." Do we get all that connections? When we understand the favor and the grace of God, it's unmerited. I don't deserve it. It's all on God. It transforms. God is going to meet me, but he's going to take me and make me something I could never have dreamed of. He's going to use all the bits of my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and transform it into something that brings him glory. And it's for my good. And it's for everyone who responds to him. That should produce great kara joy within us that leads into Eucharistos, which means thankful, grateful. And they called this the Lord's Supper, the communion table, the Eucharist, excuse me, which is many things. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of giving great thanks for God's grace. And when we do that, it produces and births and sustains us with a joy that no circumstance can take away. And so I want to invite you, church, today, as we come to the Lord's table, as we do this every month, to connect the stories of Ruth, random story it would seem, nothing random in God's universe. Mary, an obscure, totally unspectacular teenage girl, and yet God's grace meets her, finds favor, and her life's transformed. And then Jesus, the great joy and good news of him for all people, including the ones sitting in front of us today. when we discover And remember his grace, his kindness to you and I. And that his grace will meet you where you are right now. But you have a role to play in that. You invite it in. We can reject his grace. But we can invite it in and let it do its transforming work. Then as we come to this table, we can be tremendously grateful and thankful for that. That his grace is astounding. His grace is amazing. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite Bert to lead us in the communion moment. So, Father, we are so so thankful, uh, grateful that you you take individual lives and you're able to do something with them that are, is truly remarkable. That you're able to do something with Ruth's life, that her future descendant from her her future descendant would be jesus himself that you're able to take a teenage girl called mary and knowing that it would invite scandal knowing it would invite challenge knowing it would invite perhaps some hardship nonetheless your grace transforms and births literally the savior of the world god what could you do what could you birth in our lives lord if we open our hearts to your grace to your kindness If we decide to choose not to let the circumstances we find ourselves to be our ultimate reality, but to you to be our ultimate reality. To trust that your providential hand is at work in us, even when we can't see your hand, because you're good. Lord, that as your grace encounters us, Lord, it would birth within us a joy. A joy beyond happiness, even though this can be a happy time of the year. But Lord, a joy is what we want. A deep-seated joy that can carry us even through the darkest of valleys. And so with that in mind, Lord God, we we come to this table now. And we come to this table to one, declare our faith in you, Jesus. Declare our dependence upon you. Declare that we agree with the angel, that you are the savior of the world. You're the one that saves me. Nothing else can save me but you, Jesus. And two, that we come to this table in huge thanks and indebtedness, Lord, to your kindness and your goodness. That we will forever marvel at, starting in this age and in the age to come. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.